Uh, Isaiah 58, if you have your Bibles, let me pray. We're going to get going and talk about grace. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word this morning, a chance to participate in uh, your grace through it, uh, a chance to extend your grace uh, through Feed the Bay. Uh, Today is all about grace in and grace out. And so as we uh, focus on that today and over the next four or five weeks together, teach us your grace. Help us to be generous like you are God. Uh, Lead us to your character and help us to embody it to a world that desperately needs to see you and know you. As always, Lord, get me out of the way. Speak in my place. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, it's a perfect day to start this series. I don't, uh, I'm not that sophisticated enough, like uh, detail-wise, to, to think, hey, we'll start this series on grace on Feed the Bay Sunday, but that's just how it worked out. Isn't God good? Because uh, I can't think of really that many more things that we do as a church that are so uh, grace-oriented as just buying groceries for people we'll never meet. Everybody, everybody, everybody gets that grace is unmerited favor. It's you doing something good for someone who's done nothing for you, or doing something good for someone who's done something bad to you. That whole loving your enemies thing the Bible talks about, that's a grace deal. You've got to have grace to love your enemies. Uh, grace is this thing that's uh, gotten us all here. In fact, uh, you exist by the grace of God. In him you live and move and have your being, the Bible tells us. Uh, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you are now tethered to God because of that faith, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, right? It's not by your works. It's not by your merits. It's by the grace of God that you and I can be Christian. Uh, but uh, this grace thing gets lost sometimes in the Christian thing. Just like feed the bacon, get lost in our calendar. Do something 10 times and people are like, hey, I've been there. I have many of the T-shirts, and I've done that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It kind of becomes mundane. It becomes like second hand. In fact, uh, a few years ago, some of our least populated Sundays were feed the Bay Sundays. Because people, you know, would be like, well, you know, that's just that day they go grocery shopping. And that breaks your pastor's heart just a little bit. Not because I want to have a certain number of people participating in this thing, but because I see this as being way beyond us helping people in need out there. The greater thing that's being accomplished on days like Feed the Bay is that we are teaching the people in here this thing that we call grace. We're getting to exercise it. It's this muscle that comes on board the minute that you and I become followers of Jesus Christ. Grace needs to be exercised. It's how we get better at it. So today's a big day for us. But some of you are like, still, I still don't get it. I don't understand why we'd give to people we don't even know. I don't understand why we'd give, give to people who won't do for themselves, which is how a lot of us focus you know, or think about the poor. Why don't they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Why don't they just try harder? I've worked hard for my stuff. Oh, there's, there's an anti-grace statement right there, isn't it? I've worked hard for my stuff. They should work hard for theirs. Uh, forgetting that anything that we have, no matter how much effort we put into it, is the grace of God to us. You got something? Grace of God. You're able to work? Grace of God. Grace, 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 grace. But some of us don't understand. It's like Greek. When I, uh, when I started uh, studying Greek in, in my undergrad at Moody Bible Institute, I went and got a Greek New Testament. Here it is. Little, this is the literal one. I opened it up the first day I got it, and I was like, wow, this is all Greek to me. Thank you. Literally couldn't understand, like, like some letters look the same, like the K, the kappa looks like the K that we have, and, and the alpha looks kind of like the A that we have, but then you start getting into other letters, and you're like, I, that's, there's a circle with a line through it. I don't know what that is at all when you first read this stuff. 
I mean, unless you were in a frat or a sorority, it's like, I don't know what that is. Uh, and we didn't have those at my school. So I, I went to the first day uh, of Greek class, and I was like everybody else in the class. I knew nothing. The only dude in the class who knew anything was the guy at the front. But over the next four semesters of Greek, guess what? I learned it. And I learned it in such a way that I, I, I have a, a fonder imp, uh, 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 impression of the scriptures now, having learned the, the, in the New Testament and learned the language that they were written in, than I could have ever had in English. Like, I, you know, I'm sure the Bible means, you know, you know, meaningful things to everybody here. But you learn it in the Greek, it's like the difference between black and like, black and white, and like high def 4D, triple D, uh, whatever, the curved, you know, whatever the TV experience is now. It's that different. And I would have never known that had I not gone through Greek. Some of you want to take Greek now. Go for it. It's awesome. But it's the same thing with grace. Some of us just haven't figured out grace. Like, we've taken it for granted. It's just what, you know, God's done for us so that I can be saved. I'm a Christian. I was a little kid when I trusted Christ. I've never known anything different. We don't appreciate grace. It's not amazing to us. We sing the song with, with, without a smile. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Big whoop. You should fall on your face in tears every time you sing that song, and not just when it's the bagpipes at a funeral. It should move you to know that the grace of God has been lavished so, so much on you. Um, We don't understand grace. Some of us haven't experienced grace either. Again, it's just kind of this mundane thing. It slides in the background of our Christian existence. And so because we haven't experienced, we're not fired up about it. Somebody seen that Portillo's went in? Portillo's is this restaurant on 60 that has been just completely hammered for the last three weeks with their, like, preview, you know, meals, and now it's open and you have to pay when you go now. But, but it's just slammed like every re- new restaurant in Brandon is when it opens, right? Everybody wants to go taste this thing. But this one's really unique to those who are from Chicago. People from Chicago, I mean, you know, visually, visibly moved when the, when the news came that Portillo, Portillo's. Portillo's was going to be only in one place in Florida. It's going to be here in Brandon on 60. There was weeping, you know, <laughs> for these Chicagoans. And they go there. Some of them, you know, uh, uh, got three and four different preview visits, so they just could keep going and getting free Portillo's. I won't say their names, but one of them works at our church. Anyway, because um, <laughs> they can't get enough of this stuff, and if you ask them about it, they won't shut up about it. I went. It was Okay. I mean, I had the sausage with the beef. I dunked it. I did everything I was supposed to do. But it wasn't like I went to heaven, right? But you talk to some of these Chicago people, and they're like, oh, it's so good, it's so good. <laughs> and why? Because they grew up on it. It's their history. It's their heritage. It reminds them of home. They've experienced it in a way that I haven't. Maybe if I keep going, I'll start crying. I don't know. But listen, when it comes to grace, listen, it, it's hard to extend something that you don't really understand. It's hard to extend something that you've never truly experienced or allowed yourself to experience. What I hope to do in this series for the next six weeks is to help us all grasp grace, to understand it up here, and to experience it in here so that it's just our nature to extend it to a world that desperately needs it. We're going to talk about being generous. Some of you are grabbing your wallets and purses right now. Here he goes. He's going to talk about money. I may not talk about money at all. Money is an extension of our grace initiative. We shouldn't be too tight with our, with our stuff, money or otherwise. 
because everything we've gotten has come from God and should be available to him to be given to someone else. Is everybody with me on that? But I'm going to talk to us about being generous. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that is at least in, in its uh, foundations rooted on generosity. We've always been a church known in our community uh, as, as willing to help. I pray that increases. We'll be, listen, look at me. We'll be doing Feed the Bay until you put me in the ground. Not because the need out there is great, it is, but because the need in here is great to understand God's grace and extend it to other people. Let's read some Bible, ready? Talk about grasp and grace. Here's the book of Isaiah, it's written about 2,700 years ago at a time of Israel's history where they were not grasping God's grace. In fact, they were busy trying to manipulate God and that's what this account here in Isaiah 58 is about. It says, cry aloud, this is God talking, cry aloud, he says to Isaiah, his prophet, his mouthpiece, go to Israel and cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Let her rip, Isaiah. Honk that horn. Pump up the volume, pump up the volume, pump up the volume, dance, dance. That's that was new. I didn't say that before. (laughs) Declare to my people their transgressions, he says, and to their to the house of Jacob, let them know their sins. Hey, Isaiah. Just like every, probably almost every other prophecy he's had to go and give, it's going to be another tough one. You've got to shine the light on the way that Israel's messing up. Here's what he wants to talk to them about, verse 2. He says, yet they seek me daily in delight to know my ways. Okay, wait a minute. Starting out here, seems like Israel's doing pretty good. He says, they seek me daily. Sound like that's a good idea? We supposed to seek God daily? Absolutely. Uh, they delight to know my ways. They're trying to understand me. Is everybody with me on that? That sounds great, but here comes the words that make this all change. Everybody ready? As if. Mary said that to someone? What do you mean in English when you say as if? Whatever. You're lying, right? That's what you mean when you say as if, and that's what he means when he describes their behaviors. They're all as if behaviors. They're not valid. They're not true. They're playing a game. He says, as as if they were a nation that did righteousness. They're not a nation that does righteousness. As if they they did not forsake the judgment of their God. They they do forsake the judgment of their God. They're not trying. I mean, they're looking like they're trying. They're making a great show of this, but they're not really in step with me. He says, they ask uh, of me righteous judgments, Uh, They delight to draw near to God. This is basically a picture of what I call, and other people have called, foxhole Christianity. Anybody ever heard of it? Uh, This phenomenon apparently happens in war. When people are near death, God gets really important to them. Okay, and so lots of foxhole conversions happen. People uh, put their faith in God. When they need, they go to God. So glad that doesn't happen anymore in American Christianity, Right? So glad it's just a persistent and constant pursuit of Christ and we never wane. So glad that we don't have these pockets of, oh, I need God, oh, I don't need him anymore. Oh, I need God, oh, I don't need him anymore. Uh, Is everybody picking up my sarcasm? Yeah, we still do this. And so when it's time, you know, when, when our marriages are failing, when someone's sick, when all these things are going on, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's when it's time for us to get from God, we go to God and we seek what we need from him. Sometimes it's not always genuine. The Israelites are going after their righteous judgments. They're drawing near to God for what God can give to them. 
And all of this is going to amount to some empty religious efforts. I want to talk to you about empty religious efforts. I call them graceless religious efforts. It's where we put the works in. Anybody remember what uh, Paul said about our salvation? He says it's by grace through faith that we are saved. And it's not by what? It's not by our works. But we persist as a humanity in trying to manipulate God by the things that we do. And this is what God's problem was with Isaiah. I won't, I'm not a coin-operated machine. You don't put your works in and get what you need from me out. So let's talk about these graceless religious efforts. The first thing we see in the story of Isaiah is that graceless religious efforts, they make a Christian selfish. They make a follower of God selfish. Look, look, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is God um, uh, saying to Isaiah, this is how Israel sounds when they come to me and, and make these uh, requests. Um, has anybody, anybody got a spouse who when they're telling a story that you're a part of and you come to a speaking part, they change their, like when Eleanor's mimicking me in her stories to other people, this is how I sound. Dale, 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 Dale. <laughs> Does anybody else's spouse do that to them? Like I never speak that my head isn't like touching both shoulders and I sound like, you know, some, you know, Bugs Bunny character. You know, where did he go? Where did he go? That's how I sound when Eleanor's telling a story on me. So then Mark said, blah, 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 blah. I do it to her too. Anyway, uh, except hers is more, anyway, uh, <clears throat> she's not here today. All right. Um, this is what God this is God's voice, my own interpretation, but this is God's voice for Israel. You ready? It's a whiny one. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? That's how Israel sounds to God. That's really interesting. They're, they're fasting. This was a big thing with the Israelites. They fasted for all kinds of things. Did you know in the entire Old Testament, God only asked Israel to fast twice? We're talking like thousands of years of history. And God comes to Israel and two times he says, will you fast for me over this particular situation? But guess what Israel did? Well, they took this religious thing that God asked them to do, this, this thing that was meant to draw people to God, and they glammed onto it. And they said, well, I'm going to use this for my own benefit. I'm going to fast all the time. And because God met us in that fast that he asked of us, he'll meet me in this fast that he didn't ask me to do, and he'll have to do what I want him to do careful. I mean, fasting's great. Don't get me wrong. If you're a faster, it's awesome. But if you're fasting so that God will give to you, not so awesome. You're trying to twist the arm of God by doing something really religious to impress him. This is what God has to say. Behold, this is him speaking through Isaiah to Israel. He says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. It's self-oriented. You're doing all these religious works for what I can give to you or what you're hoping I'll give to you. And you oppress all your workers. This is, this is an interesting thing. It kind of could be confusing. But this is apparently what would happen. People would fast and then so that they would know they were serious, so God would know they were serious, they would make all of their workers, all of their servants and everybody in their house fast too, even though they weren't feeling the compulsion of God to fast. Or to, they would make everybody fast too. And then if everybody in my house is fasting, then God's going to really pay me off. Because, look, I got everybody else to fast. Or, here's another rendition of this as I read the books. Uh, some, some scholars think 
Uh, it was kind of like what I do with you sometimes. Here, God, you can have this. You can look at all this pretty stuff about me, but don't look what's back here. This is bad back here. I don't want you to see that. But look at all these great things. And this is what these fasting Israelites are doing. Look at how I'm honoring you. I'm not eating this week, right? Don't look over here. I'm not paying my servants. Can, can we all agree that we don't want to be on a works-based system with God? Does everybody understand what I mean? Like, if there isn't grace in place, we're all in trouble. Because our good things will never outweigh our bad things. Everybody get the economy of this deal? And if God is going to pay us commensurate to what we do, we're all toast. Every one of us is toast. Because the good is not going to outweigh the wickedness. And if God gives us what we deserve, that's, you know, nobody wants that. Is there, can everybody agree with me on that? We want grace. It's the only way we still live and move and have our being. Uh, it just makes us selfish when we go into works. It also makes us mad. Look what it says here. Uh, go to the next slide for me. I'm skipping. I know. Sorry, Matt. Graceless religious effort makes us, uh, as a Christian, mad. Okay, we're going to talk about being hangry here. Anybody ever been hangry? Some of you are hangry right now. She raised her hand. Are you hangry right now? You skipped breakfast, didn't you? You're kind of mad. You're like, hurry up, Mark. I got here too late. I, ha- I couldn't even go to the cafe. I don't have a bagel in me. I'm hangry. It means you're hungry and you're angry because of it. Is everybody with me on that? Check these guys out. Behold, God says, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. You're fasting out there. It's not producing righteousness in you. You want to punch someone. It's not, it's not edifying. It's not glorifying to me. I mean, the results of your religious rites, all it does is produce selfishness and anger. I grew up in the Angry Baptist Church, the denomination. Uh, some of you might be familiar with it. It's a place where grace was talked about but didn't exist. Okay, you had to talk about it. It's in the book. But as far as people understanding it or experiencing it, not many had. What we did have is a lot of rules. And we had a lot of people comparing themselves based on those rules. I'm better than so-and-so. I'm not good as so-and-so. And you know what happens in a world where everything is compared to each other or compared to other humans? Reality television. The church is full of uh, the housewives. And, uh, well, whatever the house husband's equivalent is. It's just a bunch of people being petty with each other, trying to get a leg up on each other. There's no focus on this parallel, this relationship with God thing and grace. It's all, how do I look compared to everybody else? And where that persists, where that exists, anger is the only result. You get mad at those who are better than you. You get mad at those who are worse than you. You look down on them who are worse than you. You are jealous of those who are better than you based on the works. Are you with me? Didn't hear a lot about grace. I heard a lot about haircuts. Didn't hear a lot about grace growing up. Heard a lot about what kind of material your pants should be made of. Certainly not denim. That's only two letters off from devil. That's why I wear jeans. It's my own personal reminder. Grace. And they're comfortable. Come on, seriously, this is the best stuff ever. But grace, it's not about what I do. It's about what God's done. Or we make it a system of works... It just turns to anger. It says, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Does everybody get this? Your your graceless uh, 
religious efforts don't make it through the ceiling. God doesn't hear them. He doesn't recognize them. They don't turn his heart or stir him in your favor. Now, last thing is this. Graceless religious efforts make a Christian look humble, but he's not. See, graceless human efforts are all about appearances. But does everybody remember what God said about David? He doesn't look on the outward exterior. He, he, he looks at the heart of a person. Remember everybody was wondering if King David, before he was King David, should even be brought to the party as far as figuring out who should be king. Well, don't bring David in. He's a shepherd boy. He's, he's not one of the firstborn. He's not. But, but, but the, the, the prophet who was anointing the king said, hey, man, God's not worried about the exterior. Is everybody grateful that God's not worried about the exterior? I'm grateful right now that God's not worried about the exterior. Okay? He's only worried about the condition of your heart. But we'll try to make a good, a good play of it. We'll dress it up. Is such the fast, this is what God says to, through Isaiah to Israel. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person. Everybody go air quotes with me. Everybody put them up. Come on, air quotes. A day for a person to, everybody say it, humble himself. Yeah. Here's what's going to happen in Israel. A lot of people are going to look humble, but they're not. Why? Because they're just selfishly doing what they need to do to get God to do what they want them to do. These people think they're humbling themselves, so they bow their heads like a reed. Oh, God, you're so good. You're so great. They spread sackcloth and ashes under themselves. Look at me. I'm, I'm mourning my sin, and I'm repenting, and I'm making lots of noise and wiping ashes all over myself so that I look the part. But is my heart bowed to you? No, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. Lived most of my Christian life this way. Was born in the church, like not literally, but uh, born in like the next week I was in the church. Went most every week after that. My dad was a pastor. And if you're familiar with, you know, long time church going, it can become a game. I mean, some of you got up this morning, you don't even remember getting up. It's just what you do Sunday. You wake up and come here. And maybe because, you know, that's become innocuous or become mundane, you've lost the connection between God's grace and, and your uh, delight in him. It's just become something that you do. And so you look the part, but your, your heart isn't, isn't with you. God says, no, man, I don't want just looking the part. I want it to be for real. Don't want any posers. When I used to play basketball in uh, gymnasiums around the Chicago area in college, uh, we'd go and you have to pick up teams. You know he never picked up on your basketball team? The kid with the new Jordans. Don't pick the kid with the shiny shoes. He hasn't played much, obviously, and he's probably overcompensating for some really lame skills. He looks the part, but he can't play. I can't tell you how many times that, that, that postulate, uh, you know, postulate, postulate, that idea, um, came true over and over again. Conversely, uh, one day I went and played in this uh, uh, college gym, Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, and I, I was visiting a buddy that day. We'd gone to a, a, a pool, and so I had my swim trunks, like not really cool swim trunks, like don't go anywhere else except for the pool swim trunks. You know what I'm talking about? And I didn't have a T-shirt to play in, so he gave me one that didn't really fit. I hadn't brought my, my actual gym shoes that I play basketball in. I just had like, you know, the, my three years ago gym shoes that were all falling apart, had some paint on them, you know, from when I was painting. I had a, lo- a really long hair. Uh, at my school, you weren't allowed to have long hair back, you know, where I went. Uh, so at the end of every semester, uh, spring semester, 
I would start growing it out so I could have really long hair in the summer. And so picture Pastor Mark with hair down to here, like all the way around, like a mushroom. And I shaved it all, all underneath. Anybody remember that from the 90s? Right, Nirvana? Okay. So shaved all that underneath. And so when I played basketball, I couldn't have that stuff flopping in my, head, in my face. So I would take my, my hair, my long hair, and I would put it on top of my head like a snork. All right? So here I come to this gym, swimsuit, ratty shoes, Nasty t-shirt and a snorkel. Anybody want to guess as to whether or not I got picked? No, only 10 people can play at a time, so the first 10 guys picked their teams, and I was just one of the busters that they left on the side. So I can tell you, with all honesty, I'm not, I'd never played pro. I wasn't even Division I basketball player. But that day, I was the best player in the world, maybe. Because when I finally got on the floor, I was so mad that I got passed over. I just, I shot from everywhere, it went in. I wasn't even looking. I'd shoot, it'd go in. I had like, you know, if you're an athlete, you just remember that day where everything clicked. And it was on this day where I didn't look the part, but I was rocking it. You know what I'm talking about? And that's what God wants. He knows you're you're just a snork. He knows you're wearing your swimsuit and your ratty old shoes. You're just a mess. He sees it, do you? And he's willing to overlook your snorkiness. He just wants your heart. He wants your best from in here. And he wants to bring it out of you by his grace. Israel didn't get that. This wasn't the only time that Israel didn't get that over and over again. They didn't get it. They didn't get it when Jesus came. Uh, and Jesus had to uh, basically confront their religiosity, their empty and graceless religious works. He did it with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like the varsity of all the Jews. They were like, they, they were just the very best of the best Jews. And guess who Jesus went after? Did he go after the whores and the publicans? And the, you know, Did he go after them? No. I mean, he, he talked to them and he tried to correct those people. But who did he really get after? The shiny, the shiny happy people, the, shiny, you know, the, the, the perfect looking people. You know what he says to them? Look at what he says in Matthew 23. He gives seven different woes to the Pharisees and the scribes. He says this. He says, woe to you, you scribe and you Pharisee, you hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. He says to him, verse 26, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Can you imagine going to lunch after this, after you go to the stores and are generous to people who don't deserve it? But can you imagine going to lunch after this, and you sit down, and the, the waitress sees that you don't have a place setting or any you know, plates or utensils, and so she just quick grabs whatever the person who was sitting at the table behind you was eating off of and just kind of, and then sets it in front of you, you know, gives you the cup and just kind of wipes the outside of the cup, but there's still some spit and coffee in it and sets it in front of you. Who's staying at that restaurant? Anybody like, oh, this is going to be good. I didn't know they do that here. It must be some kind of European thing. No, you wouldn't stay. But you know what? We bring dirty dishes to church all the time. We bring dirty dishes to the, to the throne of God all the time. And we insist, oh, look at this. I'm, I'm looking great. Everything's hot out here. And he says, I'm not even looking at the outside, bro. I want to work on the coffee and the spit. Let's clean that up and see how clean the outside looks after that. He goes on. There's another one. There's more. There's seven. I'm, I'm just giving you two. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones 
and all uncleanness. In the Jewish faith, uh, dead stuff was bad stuff. In fact, if you were ceremonially clean and you touched something that was dead, you had to go back and do the whole ritual again because dead stuff made you unclean. You know what he just said to the varsity athletes of the Jewish faith, the, the top of the top of the top? He says, you guys are dead. You're a bunch of dead stuff. You look shiny on the outside, but on the inside, you got nothing going on. Well, we're here to talk about grace. I feel like I'm hammering all those works things. Need to, so that we make sure that they don't you know, become the, the emphasis of our Christian lives. But I want to talk about grace. I want to talk about how we can move from a graceless life, full of graceless uh, religious efforts, to a graceful life, where we're living in light of God's grace, and we're extending that grace to other people. That's what we're doing today with Feed the Bay. God has given me much, I want to give to others. The first thing that happens in, in God's uh, interactions here with Isaiah is that he, he teaches us that graceful living is evidenced by a heart for the oppressed. Look what he says. He says in verse 6, is not this the fast that I choose? Here's what he says to Isaiah. Hey, tell those guys who are out there fasting, even though I didn't ask them to, that just skip that. If they want to know the things, the actions that would draw me to them, that I would esteem, here's what I want them to do. I want them to loose the bonds of wickedness. I want them to undo the straps of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free. I want them to break every yoke. You know what? At the heart of the mission of the church is this whole yoke-breaking thing. The mission of the church is to go to a world full of oppressed people and provide for them the grace of God. Now, sometimes that's material. Sometimes we as the church go to materially oppressed people and we materially provide for those people even if they deserve it or not, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. Are you with me? It's our mission. But it's always our mission to go to spiritually oppressed people, to the spiritually bankrupt, and to tell them of the riches of God's glory and grace and to share with them those truths so that they can have what they could never have without him. Are you with me? It's the mission of the church. I'm not talking about anything new. Grace is our purpose. We've received it. We extend it. It's what we are. It's what we do. And so God says that through Isaiah. He says, hey, have people be about other people. You want to get your eyes off of empty religious works, gracious religious works? Start going doing something for somebody else. Because works-based religion is all about me. What do I see in the mirror? What do other people see in me? How do I look? But grace-based religion doesn't even think about me. I spent my whole life being told to be first. I'm an American. Be first. So when I ran a race, I strove to be first. Nothing wrong with that. Do the best you can, right? But when I used to line up, I took that same idea and applied it to lining up for recess in second grade. There used to be like, like hockey fights in my second grade classroom over who would be the first to go out the door at recess. So hammered in was this idea of being first. My, my, my second grade teacher had to actually give us places in line because me and all my guy friends would just, you know, short of UFC, go after the front spot. You know what I'm talking about? I went all the way through high school. Be the first in your class. You know, be the one who gets the best job, highest paid, first, 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 first. You know this is something that's never been said in the kingdom of God? I'm first. It's just not even in the vernacular. You know what the credo of the kingdom of God is? I'm third. 
Let me be third. I'm third. Who's first? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Who's second? Love others. Who's third? As you love yourself. But is that the order of the kingdom of God? Yeah, it's upside down from what ours is. But it's exactly what God requires. Do that next time. Somebody says, uh, who wants to go first? Yellow. I'm third. They'll look at you weird, but you can have a little giggle and move on. Look what it says in Galatians 15, or Galatians 15. There's not 15 chapters in Galatians. How about five? In Galatians 5, it says this. Paul, talking to the Galatians about the freedom they have in Christ, he says, you were called to freedom. You were saved, rescued, set free. You were called to freedom, brothers. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't make this all about you. The Christian life was never meant to be spent staring in the mirror. Instead, through love, serve one another. You've been loved, go love. You've been extended grace, go extend grace. Graceful living. It's evidenced by a heart for the oppressed. And finally, graceful living. It just can't help but help. Like people who have truly understood and experienced grace, they can't help but help. I gotta help. So much has been given to me, I've gotta give it back. I can't tell you many times I've gone to organizations or churches around our community, around our country, and I've seen people, and, and, and the people who lead these organizations will say, well, that's Bob. Bob's here every day. Bob can't get enough of drug addicts. He just keeps loving on them and talking to them. There's no drug addict that we can't send to Bob that he won't love them back. And I go talk to Bob, and I'm like, Bob, why do you do this every day? Why do you, why do you spend all of your waking retirement hours helping drug addicts? He says, I was one. And someone helped me. What am I going to do with my life if I... If I don't help someone else like someone helped me. Have you met those people? I got to do this. Someone did it for me. You know why Christians extend grace? Because someone has given grace to them. It's Jesus our Savior. His grace is amazing. It should mess you up every time you sing the song. And it should lead you. Every time you see someone else... Listen, I'm not saying that you give unwisely. I'm not, you know, those are other sermons for another day. But your default setting should be, what can I do to help? I want to be wise in my giving. I want to be righteous in my giving. But I want to give because my God has given to me. This is what Isaiah hears from God. He says, God says to Isaiah, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? That when you see the naked, you cover them. And, and you, this is such a great line. This is Old Testament speak, but here, you want to hear what this means in Hebrew? To not hide yourself from your own flesh. You know what that means? That doesn't mean to be Amish and not get pictures taken of yourself or something like that. You're not trying to hide from mirrors or vampire this thing up. It means your own flesh there, it means humanity. Don't hide yourself from the rest of humanity. You know what the biggest rub with, with, the, with the outside world and the church is? is that the church comes into the church and, and just minds its own business and never helps outside. Lots of churches, that's, that's the rub. They, they hang out every Sunday, they take care of each other, but they never take care of us. I'm grateful to be a part of church that says, you know what, that's not going to be us. We're not going to 
We're not going to tie, you know, a bunch of addendums to us being able to help people. We're just going to help. And if people need help, we'll help because that's what's been done for us. God has helped us. We're not going to hide ourselves from humanity. We're going to make a difference. And when we do, you know what? This great thing about grace in, grace out is that God's going to have our back. Can I read you one more verse and I'll let you go shop? It says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn. God's saying, hey, man, you start figuring this grace thing out and start getting rid of that graceless you know, religious effort stuff, you start just taking care of people who need taken care of, guess what happens? You change. Your light breaks forth like the dawn. You start figuring grace out. He says, your healing shall spring up speedily. Your, your righteousness shall go before you. And then get this, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You know what that is? That is the first time, perhaps in history, that this phrase was uttered. God has got your back. He's got your back. I talk to people all the time. They're like, oh, man, I'd love to give, but I just don't know if I can and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying to be unwise in your giving and generosity, but I am saying that God's leading you to give, even if it sounds crazy. Don't you think that he's going to have your back? Would he ever lead us to do something that he's not going to meet us in, that he's not going to shore us up in? I, I, I don't think that's his nature. It's just not how he rolls. If we want to, you know, get comfortable with being generous, that in the flesh is going to take a long time. But if we'll just step out in faith and trust God, you know, to get our back like he promises to in the word, well then, generosity gets easier. Can I tell you, can you, just as we close, can I tell you how generosity uh, becomes second nature? You do it more. This, this Malcolm Gladwell guy, uh, he wrote a book called Outliers. He, he, he basically postulated, there, I think I used that word right. But he, uh, he theorized that people who are really good at something, uh, they just kept doing it over and over again, like 10,000 hours worth of practice, and that's when they became experts at whatever they were doing, a virtuoso in the vir- violin, an athlete, uh, you know, who rose through the ranks and became special at his particular sport. It was just time put in. And, and here's, here's what we have. I don't know how much time you have left. I don't know how much time I have left, but we got time. You've got to go to work, take care of your family and all that stuff, but we got time. And we get to choose what we do with our time. And whatever we do with our time is going to produce what we are. And so if we take our time and we practice generosity, guess what God's going to produce in us? He's going to produce in us a heart for generosity. He's going to teach us his grace. Is it something you learn in a sermon? Maybe. Maybe, you know, there's a huge leap happening in some hearts today. But is it something that you're going to learn over time as you just practice generosity? Is that how he's probably going to work this stuff into you? Yeah. That's probably how it's going to work. I want to be a better golfer. It's not working out so far. But you know what I've committed to? I'm just going to take the time. I'm going to practice. And I hope that pays off. I trust that in your life, as you practice generosity, it will become second nature. It'll free you from these empty, religious, graceless works. And it'll get you in step with and in tune with. You'll understand and have experienced the grace of God. And you'll not be able to do anything but help because that's just your default. I pray that for all of us. Can I pray that now? Hey, God, by your grace, we sit here today. We live and move and have our being. By your grace, many of us have, have been saved by you in our faith in Jesus Christ. It had nothing to do with us being worthy. It had, we never could be. It had nothing to do with our efforts uh, to appease you. There was nothing that would do that. Um, but by your grace, 
uh, we have new life. Uh, Lord, it's, it's because of grace that we want to extend grace. Teach us then your generosity. Help us to understand that what we do, do, uh, what we do today with Feed the Bay and what these other churches are doing today with Feed the Bay, the secondary part of it is the great need that exists in our community for food. I think the primary issue in all of us, God, is that we would learn grace. We'd, ex- we'd extend it. We'd, 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 we'd own it. And so I pray that for every man, woman, and child here. Teach us grace and help us to give it to those that you love in our world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you're going to go pick up your kids. You're going to grab your uh, shopping list. You can take it to one of these publixes. Don't leave. I've got to do this. I gotta do this. But here's, here's the deal. We usually do this little thing at the end of these services. I do the, I do the cheer. We're not going to do the cheer. You know why? We're going to do the cheer, but it's not going to be loud. Because this is just be who we are. We shouldn't have to get psyched up to go and give. It's just who we are. So everybody say this with me. Ready? Together, we can do more. Together, we can do more. Together, we can do more. Go in grace. God bless you as you go. Have a great morning.